call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 106 of Call It Friend of the Podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy Dirichi, and my co-host, Annika Tiernan, watched three films that were recently released on VOD and streaming, Knock at the Cabin, Women Talking, and The Whale. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call of Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations, please. Yeah, like Mike Rice that time. Not just that one time, every time. Every time, with John Spillane in the same room. Can you believe that? I wouldn't do something like that. (laughs) I'd only do it like that. It's the only way Uh, to do things. Fair enough, you should should subscribe to their blog in that case. And their OnlyFans. Yeah, exactly. How are you? This is your last day in rural Montenegro. It is, yeah. Tomorrow I'm going to be in the central hub of the country, where everything happens. You're going to play cards against the Lashif. Exactly, yeah, on the train. And there be are made no trains. A, I'm going to be, be taking a bus. And be cocked by Eva Green. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's basically what happens to Daniel Craig. In the, it's just a, James Bond gets cocked and it inspires him to be a dick for the rest of his career. It's a pretty cool origin story when you think How about it. How does he get cocked? I have no recollection of this. Because her whole, her whole being with James Bond is actually she's in love with this... Um, Algerian fellow whose job it is to seduce secret agents. It's actually a pretty disarming, like, you know, because Eva, Gr- like, uh, uh, what's her, Vesper Lind is such a cool character in the movie. By, <laughs> by the way, for a project incoming, guys, something to do with James Bond that I spoke to Andy about recently, I read a, a James Bond book. Have you ever read a James Bond book? No. You mean the like J- the actual Ian Fleming novel? Yes. No. The James Bond books are fucking wild. I've, I read recently they're going to go back through and edit out words. Yes, they are. Um, there's one, the one I read, you'd have to edit out a whole <laughs> section. It's got sections um, of like black painted over redacted. There's this one bit where he's just going on about how uh, lesbians in London are ruining the place and stuff. I'm, it's fucking wild, man. It's insane. But the thing I'm is... I'm just saying that six million <laughs> seems unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the shadow of the chimney? Yeah, no, uh, but they said they were doing that with rolled Dahl books too, but um, then everybody yeah. got so angry and they said, okay, we'll only do it with some. Um, I think it's pretty disgraceful behavior, personally. Um, I've had the arguments with people, I know what they're talking about, but the only argument is, well, the guy's dead, don't mess with his books. If, if you don't want people to read them, then... Do yeah, you know, write just... something better. Yeah, write something better. And if you're a parent, then say, no, don't read those. Or maybe make yeah. an effort at parenting your kids. It's like, it's not that difficult. Agreed. You know, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it really, really bugs me. Particularly with the Roald Dahl stuff. Because the thing that, I don't know, did you read any of those when you were a kid? Yeah, the all thing, of them. Yeah, the thing that's so appealing about them is they're so nasty. They're so mean-like. Yeah, that, they're definitely real. How do you mean? Well, they live in a world where you can imagine, like, the characters look like Gary Oldman or, I don't know. Yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sorry. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. from Slow Horses. Exactly. The, the, which, that, yeah, the, he is a Quentin Blake illustration all over, <laughs> isn't he? Anyway, I suppose that leads us into uh, what we've been watching, which we'll run through quickly. Yeah. So let's uh, let's just let's just break this down. We both watched season two of Slow Horses, right? I haven't finished it yet, but I'm oh, more than willing to talk yeah, about it. And then, have you got anything else in the what we've been watching, or is it just the other? We watched three films. I got a couple. I got a couple of things I want to slag off. Yeah. 
um, okay, very exclusively. I didn't speak about Yellow Submarine on here, did I? No. All right. Well, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. But hold on. Let's say, uh, yeah, just, f- by the way, if you want to talk about the ending, it no, doesn't no. seem like it. Okay. But Fair I think enough. you can probably figure out more or less where it's going. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. yeah. The only like, thing to avoid spoiling in Slow Horses Season 2 is there is a massive narrative twist in the start of the third episode, is it? Where oh, shock, yeah. a shocking, shocking thing happens. Yeah, yeah, that, that is shocking. Almost like, overshadows, it, like, tonally the rest of the show, I would say. It's very like, sad. I got sad at that. because I liked, I liked like, the, I liked them as a couple. Yeah. Or shall we say spoilers? Because now you're you're already hinting at what it is. Uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, but hold on. I mean, people won't... Like, nah, nah, people who are listening... First of all, I would like to say, uh, yeah, so Slow Horses is a spy show that's on its second season with Apple TV Plus starring Gary Oldman, and it's just fantastic. It's and just Jack got Loudon that... And and uh, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. Kristen Scott Thomas, yeah, that's on right. top form. I think everybody's on top form. I think the writing is. I think Apple have their money in just the right places, as per fucking usual. But I just think it's... And, like, compared to another thing that I watched uh, this week, which I'll talk about in a second, it's just there's so much of that, because TV has reached such heights now that there's so much of that TV show that's directly aiming to replace the feeling of reading a novel uh, going around. But of that standard, Slow Horses is maybe the highest. Like, it's just fun to be there. You're not, like, you're not hanging on the edge for the plot. You're just enjoying the world and being wrapped up in it. And it's funny. The characters are realistic. And I said this when I talked about the first season. I recommended it. It's funny in a way that's not jokey. It's funny because the characters are the funny. The characters are funny. The first episode of season two, I oh, texted I you after watching yeah. it because I was just like, Gary Oldman is relentless. He's mm. just Are you talking smashing. about the Chinese... Stuff he, he does. Well, he does everything, but there's everything. It's just like as soon as someone like in the office that they all work in, all these failed spies in this uh, Sly House office. Whenever anyone says anything to him, he's like, he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Like, <laughs> yeah. He just absolutely annihilates every single member of staff. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Calling them useless the entire time, but in in new and different ways. Yeah, this is this spy master could fucking trounce George Smiley, in my opinion. What's his name? But Jackson. I, Lamb. I like it. Yeah, yeah. What the, what I like about it is like he expresses hatred for for them frequently and calls them stupid, but looks but out he, for them. But yeah, he 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 secretly does actually care about them all. Yeah, look out for them. And I think this is the thing that's quite. I'd like the tonal shift. All right, without spoiling, without spoiler spoilers, mm. one of the characters dies. Yes, a very likable character dies in season two, and it's like you have to accept the fact that what they're doing is really, really dangerous. Like, they live in a dangerous world, and all the characters mm. are kind of okay with that. But they're yeah. also all failures within within the spy game, so they've been relegated to this, like, shitty outfit. Yeah. And so when one of them dies, there's, like, a, an element of shock where, as a viewer, you're kind of like, is that, like, the end? <laughs> like, how do we go on from here? Mm. But the rest of the characters have to just carry that. Yeah. I think it's... um. Okay, I'll mention the other thing I was going to talk about because I texted you about it. So I watched um, Karen Piri, which is very much aiming for the same thing. It's the TV feeling of reading a novel. Let's say that. Let's call it that. Um, How many seasons are there of Karen Piri? 
There's only one so far. Uh, I would imagine they'll make another one because it was quite popular. Uh, three 90-minute episodes, so very 1990s mystery style <laughs> of presentation. ITV but, style. That's that's their game. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. I quite enjoyed it to start out, but then I, w- I, I dove into um, Slow Horses Season 2 before I watched the last episode. And just the difference in standard between the two shows in terms of... But like the thing is, is like... All the moves that are going to play out in Karen Peary, I can see ahead. And I've watched a shit ton of these in the last few years, as have you. Show Trial stands out as particularly similar, but I'm sure there are other things I watched. Even that one on the submarine, let's say. Yeah, um, Vigil. Vigil, yeah. And then you just you compare them to something like uh, Slow Horses or, or, or even Bosch, and you just realize it's... Though, uh, and I would say Slow Horses is... is a far superior show to Bosch, but uh, Bosch has some darkness and surprises that ground it more in reality as opposed to a BBC ITV show with no surprises, if, you are, if you're following me. And that was my issue with Karen Perry. Uh, so it's a podcaster resurrects a murder that went on. I'm already on... worried. That, so the lead is a podcaster? No, 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 no. Oh, a podcast a, she's, resurrects she's a like murder. A it's a plot element. Type thing. Yeah. Okay. And then the police. Why are we going to be following a podcaster around solving the <laughs> crime? That was immediately concerned. You're the you're the only podcaster I'd follow around, Andy. Thank you. Yeah, no. And then the police say, "Well, we better put somebody on that to see it solved because it's in the public eye again." So she goes somebody digging get back through. Somebody There you go. So so far, so unforgotten. But once again, unforgotten's a much superior show. And season five is coming back. Uh, it'll be around shortly. You've seen all four, haven't you? Yeah. I've only seen the first uh, two. I must. Oh, Got two more yeah. to catch up on. In season five, you'll have to watch. Wow, I don't know. I don't, I don't try not to spoil anything for you, but yeah, season five is coming out shortly. I might just dig right in because I know it's the sort of thing my wife would eat up. Anyway, point being, whereas before I would have jumped into anything with the label of, of Karen Perry, as with many things in TV, there's just too much of it and too little time. So I'll be more cautious next time because in the end, I was disappointed by the resolution. I could, I pr- like predicted it from literally. The moment the antagonist, so to speak, was introduced, I was like, ah, that's him. <laughs> we'll find out in about the last five minutes, exactly. And just before we find out that it's actually him, we'll think it's somebody else for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but we'll know it really isn't. Yeah, yeah, so I wasn't too impressed with that, being honest, particularly when compared to Slow Horses. Anybody out there looking for a, a show? Yeah, Slow Horses Season 2, hell yeah. And season My one, only of criticism course. of Season 2 of Slow Horses is I think, like, narratively, it it's not at the same level as season one. I think they've okay, got a lot of threads, threads that they don't, I, don't, I mean, they do wrap everything up okay, but it just mm. doesn't, it doesn't feel like it, it, it holds together. I, in one aspect I really enjoyed about season one is um, how kind of dense the spy craft was and how mm. difficult it was to kind of know what was going on. And that's immediately not there in the second yeah. season. I would say that's a bit absent. There's one thing when you get to the end of season two, they immediately show you the trailer for season three. So Already? Season three shot, yeah. Jesus and Christ, think, they're moving. Was it, it was, uh, it was uh, three and four it got yeah, renewed yeah, for. Yeah, right, exactly. Mm. So, they're, so do, they're, they're doing back to the futures on this. Yeah, I don't know how many they've shot. That's mad. Yeah, Man, I, I have filming dates. I wonder. Apple crushed the other streaming services, like what they've got on there in terms of quality programming. I think they can put, I, they must be able to bash through a season of Soul Horses in a pretty short time. Seems to be the case. But, I mean, they're also just, they're I'm all sure... They're filmed around London, so fair play. Flinging money at them as well. Like, mm. 
like if you get on an apple like an apple salary is a different beast so uh the rumors are floating anyway because there's nothing spe- really there's, i'm trying to think there's nothing really that looks that expensive in the show there's Gary a couple Oldman. of sequences yeah that's it that's where mm. your money goes but there's a couple of sequences like there's one sequence where there's supposed to be some kind of protest and the numbers in the protest don't look too huge oh. did you see uh speaking of apple did you see season three of a uh, ted lasso trailer no, I don't want to. I'm trying to avoid all trailers. That's fair, but with Lasso, it was different. I just wanted my my little fix, and I, I was nearly crying in the trailer. I'm so in for this. Oy. Last season got a bit of bad notice because it went all dark and stuff, but I, I really enjoyed last season also. Season two was, uh, it was actually better received than the first one. Really? Mm, yeah, in terms of like uh, you takes, know uh, scores. This brings me to, uh, so I'll run through two films that I watched this week, because this brings me to one of the key themes that I'll be talking about in the three films we want to cover this week, is that I feel that the critical world is just at a distance from the way things actually are, <laughs> or at least, yeah. the sort of, at least the sort of critics that I listen to anyway, and I don't really listen to them anymore, so maybe I need to find new ones, or maybe I'm it. The one guy I still kind of read is Robbie Collin, I, I quite like his stuff, but... Anyway, I'll get to that. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, rewatched uh, Fargo, which the one thing I wanted to say about that is, um, man, like, because I've also been taking in an awful lot of critical drinker content. Uh, I quite enjoy his content. Um, but the video that really made him pop was his uh, uh, review of Captain Marvel, because I think he said what was on a lot of people's minds. But then, like, he was saying, oh, yeah, because there's never been good female characters before, etc. And he's uh, being sarcastic, obviously. But, um Gracie in um, Fargo is one of the is one of the best movie characters fucking ever. I mean, just her place in that story. And like, she's very definitively female. I mean, she's a pregnant woman in this world full of just nasty scheming men who are fucking everything up. And her like, she's a good detective, but her main thing is she's like a good person. She's very trusting. She's too trusting. That's why when Mm. she goes and hangs out with her former high school friend, Oh, that's such she, an... She kind of... She sort of makes oh. that link where she's like, oh, because you completely misread... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, what he wanted from her. He wanted to, like... It's such a perfect him. scene, that. I mean, it's incre- it's incredibly awkward. Do you remember this? There's this one part in it. He goes, uh, maybe I'll sit over here. And he sits down beside <laughs> her. And she just goes, no, no, no. I think I liked you better when you were it's over there. Ganagita. Yeah, it's it's just fantastic. And just as an example of, I don't know, it, like, it's not tokeny at all. One of the things that that critical drinker fella goes at an awful lot. We, I'm giving him credit, but it's th- it's thoughts that I think me and you have very much discussed directly. It's like, uh, it's when you put the emphasis on we absolutely need more better female characters. It kind of, I, I don't know, it, 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 I, how would I put it? So it's like, make sure every man is a dumbass and a failure. Make sure every woman's amazing with no conflicts or anything like that. And uh, well, what have you got? You've just got bland characters all over. It's insane. Yeah. But Fargo is, I mean, it's just, there's no way that character could be anything other than female and the film is like a classic and it's all it's built around her really although stormair in it store i had completely forgotten <laughs> how funny he is i'm trying to think of films with like complicated female characters with mixed motivations and that you know fail from time to time or have some sort of character defect i mean fargo's R- one we've already ripley yeah um, but Ripley's always brought up as like Ripley's brought up and knocked down from time to time because there's like a masculine, there is like 
Yeah, I think that's, there is a sort I of think, masculine trait to her because she's living in this world of men, and she's she's sort of. I think that's fucking horseshit. <laughs> to be honest, I think that's just it, like it, because it's the best. It, basically, because the answer to what come there's no good female characters is one of the best characters in movie history. It's kind of annoying, but it is what it is. Sarah Connor is another example. Both Jim Cameron, fair very, play. Well, like, I know. Very I mean, sort of masculinity. Dan O'Bannon is Ripley, at least by at least by the second Terminator film. That's true. Um, let me think. The first, thing Benning, that comes to, the first thing that comes to mind, and this is not like, this is maybe like a bit of a left field choice, but is Charlize Theron in... Uh, Monster? No, in uh, Mad Young Max? Adult. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, that's a good, yeah, yeah. That's a good call. I like that movie too. Um, I mean, I Just probably never watch like, it again, but... she She's clearly messed up, but is interesting. Mm. What about um, so Margot at the Wedding? Nicole Kidman and Margot at the Wedding. I haven't seen that. The Noah Baumbach movie. That's good. He's good for a flawed female. Mm. Noah Baumbach. <laughs> He'll deliver. No, I, I, like, I don't actually think there's as, like, as much of a shortage as, they, as people let on of that type of character you're naming. There's probably an over-serving of stoic male characters. Probably men are over-represented in stoicism. I'm not very stoic personally. I wish I could be. Well, but, um, can you think of like stoic female characters? You're going to go to Ripley. I was about to go to Ripley. I didn't want to, but yeah, yeah, I was going to say Ripley. See, that's the problem. It always comes back. It's like, well, obviously Ripley. Furiosa. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll take your. We can go back to Charlize Theron. She can always do it. Fuck she off. Pull it out. I bet Nicole Kidman's got a got a stoic yeah, yeah, character yeah. in her. What about uh, yeah the the film and she we definitely watched. looks like she can read books. The Karen Kusama film that she was in. What's that called? Oh, Destroyer. Destroyer. Yeah. I think That's she's more just character. messed up in that. She's yeah, she's up. definitely a, a flawed character. Not a great movie, as I remember. Not the best. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe this is homework. Maybe this is discussion for another day. Flawed yeah. female characters. If anyone has any any that they'd like to uh, to bring to our attention, send us a message. Yeah. Indeed. And the on one Instagram, other thing... At Podcast. One other thing I wanted to mention that I've already uh, mentioned, but if you're thinking... Like, as I was thinking, man, it'd be, you know, you have a kid and they want to watch the same movie like a billion times. I want I to thinking, watch Destroyer. <laughs> I like Karen Kusama. I was thinking it would be cool if my kid's one was um, Yellow Submarine. So I sat down and watched it with her, and she watched it well enough. But I, if I had to watch that, ever, that anybody who likes that movie is insane or on drugs. They might be on drugs. The people who made it were definitely on drugs. It's it's awful. It's terrible. It reminds me of this Belgian film called A Town Called Panic, which it, but A Town Called Panic is way funnier. That's a stop motion movie in that it's just every idea in the book is thrown at the screen and just built around Beatles songs. But it's also the fact is that psychedelic animation it gives me a fucking headache, man. I can't be watching it. I have never seen Yellow. The, I've never seen Yellow Submarine. I don't like the Beatles. When I watched the film yesterday, I was like, this almost seems like the perfect world. Now, if you just got those three characters who still remember the Beatles into a room and then slowly seeped some sort of poisonous gas into the room that would then be i would be living in my perfect world i thought you were talking about the film yesterday like the period in time i was like what women talking in <laughs> <laughs> the perfect world what's wrong with you yeah no yeah, I, yeah. i'm not a fan i of like the it well enough. i i appreciate i appreciate what they did and good oh, that's on nice them. of you you're probably more but like will not yellow in curtis submarine or, or that's a, it. I, a cure animated movie I or want something like that. a submarine that hanging from the rafters. That's my type of submarine. L listening to the idiot by Iggy Pop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Fair enough, but not that you were going to, but don't bother watching Ghetto Submarine, Andy, I suppose what I'm saying. I would talk about uh, this week's films in a a descending order of which we preferred, if we see, see, can we agree? I imagine we would, definitely for the third one. Why, um, wait, are we saying you want to start with the good one and finish? No, with the, the crap no, 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 no. Start with the so, crap one. Yeah, ascending order of quality. Okay, okay. So okay, we start so. with yeah. I mean, it's knock at the cabin is first. It's knock at the cabin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. it'll be more contentious when we get to tier three. Maybe I'm very interested. There's okay, no spoilers okay. on that. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay, okay. All right, cool. Because we could have a debate on our hands. Knock at the cabin. So here we go. So knock at the cabin is. Um, M. Night Shyamalan's latest offering. Let me say this. There are so, I think he's made two masterpieces, two genuinely almost masterpieces. Okay, yeah. So and that's obviously The Happening. Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> Happening and uh, what's the other? I can't, I can't even remember. His worst you, films have been edited out of my brain. Uh, I've never seen After Earth. I've never seen The Last yeah. Airbender. I've yes. never seen those, Lady those in the, the Water. Those are the ones I couldn't recall. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't seen any of them. Uh, no, that's yeah, not but, true. I've watched part of The Happening. You know, there's that famous scene which was memed. They run away you. from the wind. No, well, there's that, that but there's like a scene where... Oh, you told me about woman, this before. Yeah, this woman uh, says to like Wahlberg, like says that he killed someone and he goes, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> it is the best delivery of anything ever. He's like, no, I did not kill those people. <laughs> I I listened to uh, some of um, yesterday's episode of the Legion of Skanks, and they had a bit at the start with the, they're doing Black History Month with Wiggers, and they just had clips of Marky Mark throughout his I, career. I heard that it's, too. It's very funny. It made me laugh a lot. Yeah, I think uh, the Sixth Sense is a masterpiece. Uh, I think Unbreakable is too. I think the Sixth Sense is better. I think Signs would Signs if it. Stuck the landing, which it doesn't, I don't think, would be better than either Sixth Sense or Unbreakable. I think most of what is in Signs... Do you recall a scene where the, there's a camcorder footage of an alien passing a yes, birthday party yeah, in Brazil? Yes, horrifying. It's, it's one of the most horrifying that's things scary. in, in cinema, really. Um, I think when well, I watched Signs the first time, I was kind of put off by the, like, it's, you know, the power of Christ or something saved them. Yeah, it's a kind of a, it's a bit of a cop-out ending, or it's, it's, I don't know, is it the power of Christ, but it's like predestination or something like that, and yeah, it's... Which um, I feel like Knock of the Cabin, I think when, when it comes down to M. Night Shyamalan's version of Knock of the Cabin mm. reflects some of his personal views and yes. what he actually believes, and I think you it takes some of those aspects from signs, and he has adapted this story, which... I mean, I haven't read the novel that it's based on, the one by Paul G. Tremblay, but from what I understand of the plot, it seems more interesting. And the changes that definitely, Shyamalan definitely. made, I think, like ultimately end up ruining the film. Well, I think it's, it's fine. Few, it's, it's it's entertaining. I think he's the wrong. I think he's the wrong director for the yeah, project. Yeah, yeah. I think Sarah Polly would have made a better director for this project. Quite honestly, it needed something more somber. Uh, before we continue, what do you think of the village? Uh, yeah, I like it. I always yeah, good, enjoyed good. it. I like that twist. It never... Me too. Like, yeah, I yeah. think some people thought it was silly. Good, I'm glad to see that. Because, yeah, people did think it was silly. I always liked it. I thought it was a good twist. So, Knock on the Cabin, uh, brief sort of synopsis. Um, there's Jonathan Groff and some other dude. The legend, couple... the legend, Jonathan Groff. The king, king from Hamilton. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And also We'll from, be back. Uh, my favorite Hamilton song. The TV series Mindhunter. Yes. Um, and he's uh, he's gay with a dude. Which they actually cast uh, two gay actors ah, for those that's roles. That's nice. I mean, they're actors, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, hey, when we when we get to our second or third film, 
we, we oh. might have a problem there. Oh, right. Oh, 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 oh. And they've got a little girl. And then they, they have... adopted. Yeah, they young, got a... Uh, Chinese girl Wen. with a hair lip. And um, they're living in like a... They're not living. They're vacationing in a rural cabin. And then these four people, first Dave Bautista, then Rupert Grint and two other people uh, <laughs> come along. They're up to the same, clearly not the same level of fame, unfortunately. No, the others and are Nikki, uh, Nikki Amuka Bird and Abby Quinn. But they all get around the same level of de- development, I'd say. And they approach the cabin and the deal is basically there's, apocaly- there's an apocalypse coming and some members of this family, well, at least one member of this family, has to sacrifice another member of this family because we've all had visions that say if that happens, then the apocalypse will stop. And that's it. That's be- and uh, in the end, after much bloodshed, because they, ki- they start killing each other in order to further demonstrate their yeah, basically point. Basically, each individual one sacrifices themselves. Mm. In order to demonstrate the point point that the world is going to end. And after each one dies, they turn on the TV and some... Yeah, some disaster has has happened. Catastrophe has occurred somewhere in the world. Uh, Which, like, itself, I think, as a premise, is fucking class. Yeah, Uh, I mean, this is 100% the the type of film, like, premise that I'm on board with. And I think when it's setting up, while there's you have an element where you're like, is this real or not real, is great. Mm. Until a point where they step outside the cabin and you see a plane falling out of the sky mm. and it just removes any uncertainty about events. Well, I think, like, I was sort of checked out before that point. Yes, and, true, but uh, that was, like, the ultimate, like, all right, okay. So have you seen the show he did for Apple, Servant? No. Okay, the stars funny... Rupert Grint as well. That's right, yeah. And um, a lady with a lost boys type name, Tiger Lily or something like that. She's very good in it. And uh, Toby Cabell is in it. Um, anyway, it's really good. Well, no, I really enjoy it. I can't even say it's really good. The thing is, it's so weird and the mystery is so intriguing that you keep up with it. But it just gets weirder and weirder. And it has this strange tone where it's not quite horror, but it's horrific in parts. It's often funny. It's a very strange tone. And it's almost the tone that keeps me coming back because I want to know what the hell this show is. But, you know, I wouldn't keep coming back to something that was penit- like that, that was boring. And it's a big credit to it that it's three seasons in now. I'm still, n- nobody's any that much the wiser about the central mystery. It's, there's some episodes where they just like cook food, but it's shot really well and the house is really nice. M. Night Shyamalan likes a nice house in his movies, by the way. He also likes but, to put himself in there. This was quite yes, a good that's cameo right. in this one. He it was, yeah, a, yeah. The, like the, the telemarketer. QVC or, no. guy selling yeah. uh, some sort of, what was it, like a, it was something to do with like cooking steaks or something. Something like that, something, yeah, yeah. Something food related. But yeah, this f- movie has that exact same tone. And the thing is, the premise, except for, except for the opening scene with Dave Bautista, which is quite chilling. That, that like, he just walks out of the woods and starts talking in a really creepy way. And at that point, because the thing is, he, when Shyamalan, like, he, he has demonstrated he can really do horror in the past. And I found that bit quite horrific. But then the second the other people arrive, and I think the idea is that they become kind of like, you get to know the characters a little bit throughout and you realize that they're also normal people that have, you know, opted in for this sacrifice to save the world or whatever. But you never get that impression. They more so seem like the clone family from us or something like that. And I don't think the tone ever matches how horrifying the the, the premise is, except for the opening scene. And I think that's 
that's exactly why it fails. They also, they none of the reveals work. They're, none of them are strong enough. There's a point towards the end of the film where they, they're like, these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And you're like, yeah, we pretty much, pretty much put that together mm. quite early on before Jonathan Groff had his, you know, revelation. Uh, yeah, I just think those like, type of things don't work where it's like, eh, it's not uh, a good, that, those reveals don't, they just hold no weight. No, but pretty much, well, I mean, if the big reveal is your poetic interpretation of events, do you know what I mean? No, they don't really hang together. Because, I mean, yeah, they symbolically work as four horsemen, but also all their stories check out. <laughs> so, I don't when the, know. The, the, when they introduced the idea that Rupert Grint's character had, that he'd, had he'd interacted with, oh, he'd with bottled one him of the before, main yeah. couple, yeah, with that. Uh, What's the character's name? Andrew. Yeah, he'd run into him in a bar and you know, smashed a bottle over his head in like a kind of anti-gay attack. Yeah. Um, like that introduced elements where you're like, okay, so we don't really know. this. That's interesting. It could be because this character of Andrew obviously doesn't want to believe <laughs> the insanity that's unfolding. But it just, to... never, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't hold together. This was part of a two-picture deal that Shyamalan signed with Universal. So the other one was Well, it's old. done quite well. Yeah, it made 52 off of a 20 million budget. I think Olds did way better. Which I haven't seen at all, but it's, it does not interest me either. No, I, I preferred this. Re, or to Old. And yeah, that's I wasn't, I wasn't a I, fan of Old. I didn't like it. Because I, I think like there's elements in this, particularly Dave Bautista's performance. I mean, he's, he's, very, he's, actually, very good. he's a great actor, isn't he? He is. I, I, like, I think a lot of wrestlers are, though. No, some are. <laughs> well, okay, but like enough... In, when you look at them as a group, like it's quite a high percentage because there's not that many wrestlers, is what I'm saying. Continue, like who? Well, okay, Cena comes to mind. If you push me for a third, <laughs> Roddy Roddy Piper. Now that's true. <laughs> he is in one of the greatest fistfight scenes of all time. Um, I don't think The Rock is terrible. I just think he's made bad choices or he's taking on projects. He's a are, good character actor. Um, he's he's it, playing. I mean, he's he's chosen a path. I think he could yeah, have yeah. done something a lot more serious. I think he he would. He could no, I think he attempted to show off a kind of dramatic chops in that um, uh, Michael Bay film, Pain and Gain. I haven't Pain seen and it. Gain. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, yeah, that looked like the one where I was like, "Hey, I'm not." I'm <laughs> as Norm Macdonald uh, playing a human this time, as Norm Macdonald said, um, "Pain and Gain, the new Michael Bay film." Critics are calling it everything from shit to fucking shit. <laughs> yes, Bautista is good. The film is not. What else can I say? Do you want to talk about the way the book ends? As opposed, so to get specific about the film ending, here you go. And so it ends up being Eric, Jonathan Groff, who, who gives up his life so that Andrew can, can raise, uh, can raise their, their daughter, Wen. But in the book, what happens is they, they accidentally kill Wen. They accidentally and it doesn't kill count the child. as a sacrifice. Then. It doesn't count as a sacrifice because they have to like willingly. They have to. They have to die willingly. So I think at that point, one of the character, one of the characters, like runs away. One of the four who come to the house just runs off and is like, "Fuck this!" And uh, you get the sense that everything, like the world, is just melting down. Yeah. And there's, it just. I think it just like kind of cuts out at a certain point. Just sort of like fade to black type thing. My understanding is as well... The the, uh, world ended. Yeah, the couple kind of come to the conclusion that, well, you know... Fuck the world. Yeah, fuck the world, exactly. Like, fuck fuck any god who will not accept the sacrifice of our our child. Which is actually, like, really interesting. Yeah, it's way more interesting. 
like I read the synopsis of that and I, I wished uh, now I can't ever read that book because the kid dying is too much of a that would have blown me away had I been reading that book but like even reading the synopsis on Wikipedia I was like whoa that's heavy yeah I mean it sounds like a more interesting uh, approach to things this the fil- the script was on the blacklist for quite a while so I mean it was kicking around and uh, Sham- but Shyamalan got hold of it and <laughs> just re he just redid it redid the plot did Which he so he co- he co- he there's plot inputs from Shyam- Shyamalan yeah I believe so yeah he wrote oh, the screenplay with uh, two other guys Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman okay so he it is it has been Shyamalan the assumption is that he change the, fa- the the fact of the kid dying yeah which i guess would make sense if you want to make like a, a slightly happier film and it does have a sort of happy ending they have that callback to them playing a song singing a song in the car which is something they'd done when they were the, all three of them were were uh driving yeah i don't know i just felt like yeah this should have had more sort of leftovers vibes almost than Shyamalan was given it yeah yeah how about this watch the leftovers by far the best thing I've ever seen which covers somewhat similar territory yeah well the leftovers is one of the greatest shows ever Um, it's definitely in my top five no question it's absolutely incredible I still think Um, about it all the time and you and I disagree about the ending yeah because you know one of us likes to be right and one of us prefers to be wrong (laughs) well I don't get why you prefer to be wrong uh, yeah, anyway, doesn't bear much more talking about the knock at the cabin. I wouldn't this is, say we've it, already given this way too much thought. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's if there's it's it's a good throwaway film just to put on to something you don't need to pay any attention to. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's. I'll tell you what. It's no woman talking slash the whale. Both of which I enjoyed. The one it's I enjoyed well, slightly yeah, so less. Slightly less. I would say woman talking. Good for you. Yes, yes, we're on the same page. Absolutely. Although, okay, to be fair, this the that just follows the um, IMDb rating for these films. I mean, so good. I think Woman Talking is at a seven, and The Whale's at a seven point eight. But one of the reasons Woman Talking is at a seven is because there's a lot of people who've rated it like four out of ten. Nothing happens. It's just women talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so silly. it has I definitely mean, been bashed by people just going. Like, I think it's got it's gotten. Happens. I think it's gotten some unfair power of the dog comparisons, which is a film I didn't really connect with. But this film is, I mean, both of these films are largely just conversations, dialogue. They're both quite stagey. Yeah, the only one I mean, is well, based they, on a play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they they both have play vibes. Yeah, to, to kick into women talking, so based on a real inf- incident that sounds fucking terrifying, quite honestly. But a very interesting thing that happens near the start is uh, somebody speaks to you and says um, something like the following is a tale of female imagination or something like that, which in a strange way lets it off the hook a little bit because you're straight away into metaphor town. Now, the real incident around which it was based was there was a Oninite, o- what are they called? Some kind of community? There are Mennonites. Mennonite community uh, in Bolivia, which was an interesting enough thing for me to learn about as well. They were down in Bolivia, and it was discovered that men in the community were squirting cow tranquilizer into the rooms of women at night and raping them. Women yeah, and the children. F- women and children, yeah, as young as three, um, and which is f- featured in the film as well, yeah. although de- dealt with, with subtly. Uh, subtly. Yeah, with, with a touch of subtlety that is lacking in some of the other areas. 
it's touched mm. on in like a really heart heartwarming slash heartbreaking way where elements like the uh, trans character turning around and saying thank you for saying my name yeah. is perhaps not on the same level of of uh, subtlety right there's two things yeah okay so first of all sarah polly writer uh, no based it on a book which kind of takes that story and takes it for a walk we are in metaphor country completely, except for two characters, to give them credit. I think Claire Foy and um, what's her chops? Uh, Jesse Buckley yeah. definitely escape from Metaphor Town with their characters. But Metaphor Town is a fine place to be, except when it's glaringly on the nose. I think genuinely, I don't like, I, I mentioned already, I feel completely disjointed from the critical community. I'm completely just dis- disconnected altogether now. I feel genuinely the film sort of let itself down by ramming in a trans character in there. And I also feel like the sheer fucking tokenism of um, the, the August character, he's like a living disclaimer of the not all men sentiment. I <laughs> just, I, I like, I just genuinely thought it, like, that's, it's just terrible writing that, that drifted it into almost like a feminist version of the sort of fantasizing that's going on in call me by your name. I just, like, it's just too convenient. And I get it, but here's the thing, is, like, if you're admitting to yourself that this is a metaphorical discussion, basically, then you don't need the tokenism. That's the thing, I I I had problems with certain elements of this film. There was times where I did kind of roll my eyes and go, ugh. But, like, Mm. overall, it still made me cry. Like, I found it really, really moving towards the end. When did you cry? It didn't get me like that, no. It got me plot-wise. there were, there were certain elements, but like definitely like when they were leaving at the end, when uh, when the two girls joined them at the last minute. Yeah, no, no, it didn't really move me because, it, you know, like there was some scoffing. There was definitely I was thinking, I mean, it, there's no way I'll read any of the press for this because I like except again, I'll, I would like to see what old Robbie Collin uh, thinks. I think he's one of the few kind of very objective reviewers out there. One aspect that I re- that I, I I really liked about it was there's the oddest kind of tension throughout. Is uh, like so okay, basically further because to men give on the... men are basic men are like the shark from Jaws or something. Exactly, yeah. exactly. There's a real fear of just even seeing any of these men coming back from town is just is is yeah. like terrifying. Just to fill in though, it's it basically the men have gone all gone back to post bail for the men that got accused of rape. So it's just the women in the community for two days and the women talking are talking about what they'll do, whether or not they'll stay and fight, forgive the men or leave. And they eventually vote to leave after some interesting uh, discussions. And There's then a lot the, of pushback as well in, in, in criticism. I just mean like audience criticism of people mm. saying like, these characters seem too intelligent, they're too eloquent, etc., etc. which has never, I never understood that. As a criticism, yeah, because they're, they're they're they don't have to read or write <laughs> to have a conversation. Yeah, there's the, the, uh, plus there's parts where they kind of show themselves like they have common sense, but not they're not educated. They're, mm. they're, that's that's clear. But also, as I said, she calls it an act of imagination in the like it's literally spoken at the start. So I don't think that kind of criticism holds too much water either. Even like it's a meditation on an event. I could imagine, like I said, I wouldn't read the press uh, for a film like this. I could imagine people leveling the criticism at it, that it's the same kind of annoying as something like um, The Handmaid's Tale, which maybe people could, you know, the thing with The Handmaid's Tale is, you know, it came out and everybody was going, you see, 
that's exactly how it is in real life right now. And you mean in Iran, maybe it is, yeah. But in this, I th- like, I think it is really leaning into a, a poetic interpretation of, I don't know, the Modern interaction feminism. of... of well, no, just heterosexual relations between the sexes as they evolve over, over the ages. Like, they're literally leaving aggressive male domination behind when they leave the farm. They're, they're just saying, yeah, that, that's it, I've had enough of that. And that's it. The, the, the final message is that uh, Ona talking to her child, or yeah. who's talking to the child? Is it, what do you is mean? It the, is it the young kid, Ocha? Someone, whoever's like uh, explaining, he's basically saying to this young child, telling oh, the story yeah, to this yeah, young yeah. The, child. The narration. That, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying that like, you know, you're, this, this is how we lived, but everything's going to be different for you. Yeah. I re- kind of like, like um, you're going to live in a I don't know who's talking to who society. there. I think it's Ocha who's explaining to her on board, to her child. It's hard to... Is that Claire Foy's daughter? I think or, it's the, the one who was there's, the one who was there's, molested. There's a lot of similarities across here. Yeah, I mean, what well, everyone was. I mean, yeah, one no, of the worst I'm... parts is, um, which we mentioned before, is Jesse Buckley walking yeah. like an hour and back a half. Back to her husband. Uh, no, 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 that's Claire like Foy. 50, that's Claire Foy. Oh, yeah. I got them mixed up. This is the problem. They look quite similar to me. Mm. But walking for like whatever, 15 hours to go and get uh, medicine because her child has like her an infant STD. daughter yeah, has her, an STD. Her, her yeah. Three, four year old. Uh, who's um, raped. I mean, it's horrendous. Yeah, and then also, like when Jesse Buckley just walks back towards the house of uh, her abusive husband Klaus, uh, knowing she'll get the shit beat out of her, but mm-hmm. wants to hold the sort of secret together. Yeah, that's pretty gut gut wrenching. The one character of that age group that I wasn't really on board with, I think she was too much in meta. Almost, she was like, um, what would you call it? She's a manic Puritan dream girl, uh, Rooney a, Mara. Yeah, Rooney Mara's own. Yeah, yeah, she is yeah. definitely the worst. Wasn't really a fan of her character, nor Ben Wishaw's August. I think that kind of let the screenplay down. But generally, he, he for, seemed like perfect casting, though. Like, who do you get for the most? Oh like, yeah, 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 the, man in the, the world. You get yeah, Ben yeah. Wishaw. Exactly. Like this is London is a factory making men right like that right now. But apart from those shortcomings, I thought there was genuine tension and interesting things to say. And uh, yeah, I excellent I, score. The score yes. by um, Hildur Gudnadotter. Yes, uh, it was very, very nice. nice. There was a, a, good a lot of criticism. Kind of thing. Yeah, there was a lot of criticism, but for this film, for it like looking bad, really? just because well, Sarah Polly had like bleached all the color out of it because she wanted to. I mean, she's obviously going for a specific thing. It's supposed to represent like a sort of Puritan farm. Yeah, that's exactly it. But there's a lot of people just saying it was like dull and gray and murky. There was also a lot of the criticism of just people saying nothing happened, which again is just like, I can't. It's interesting to me that it seemed, I had this conversation with someone before who just said like, film is a visual, film is for visual storytelling. So you should you should tell stories visually. But I'm so happy just listening to characters talk. I would just well, have two characters in a room talking. I guess I, I guess I like theater. I think the, what the person are they a listener? Are they a listener? No, the no, no, they're not a listener. This was like a film director, well, like low I think film director. Is that? I think that's a stupid thing to say because film is basically whatever works for you in the medium of film. Do you know what I mean? It's that's like saying. I don't know. That's like the people who got um, mad when uh, the, the, you know footballers started inverting the triangle. It's like, what are you talking about? This is scoring goals. I'm uh, far more likely to tune out when I'm watching like visual action than I am listening to characters. 
I'll tell you what, visual ac- action has much more potential to be boring for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for sure. I mean, I really enjoy a good action film, but I, <laughs> I think the like the technical playbooks are there for it. The easier thing to pull off as a director is a passable action scene than a passable scene of dialogue. Like mm-hmm. it's it's more, I would imagine that's more challenging work. But yeah, generally speaking, give me. 40 minutes of characters talking over five minutes of Michael Bay Transformer action, I suppose. What I mean, I'm using, other, I'm using extremes, but still. What were some of the other feminist major modern talking points in this? The August character is there to listen and not to talk. Don't, don't man, he mansplains yeah. uh, the Southern Cross for navigating. I can't Which remember was, some of the other ones. That was annoying that they gave out about that. I think there's something to be said in the fact that the two teenage girls clearly fancy the boys going around with the rock and roll <laughs> yeah there's that one guy who's the the uh, local census taker yeah which um, is a, that's another thing is like it's revealed that it's actually 2010 ah you know that though don't you or you know it's well but you but it's i don't know no if you'd read nothing about this film I think the first revelation of time period is where August is talking about like something of the Second World War, and he's talking yeah. about it as though it was like you know some time ago. So you have to assume that it's like a, at least the seventies by that. That's point. That's true, actually. Shocking. But then the revelation of like a guy driving around going, "Come out for the come out your houses for the twenty ten census." At some point, I'd like clicked on I clicked on something of the film, and it says set in 2010 blah 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 blah. i was like don't lead with that mm. that should be some kind of revelation it's only about 30 minutes into the film but still it yeah, should, yeah, it should be shocking i don't think this will uh, get any awards love no one has seen this yeah like, no one has watched it it did very very poorly which i think is harsh i mean it's made 6.8 million at the box office going on reddit it was hard to even find anyone talking about it there's very very few comments on it no one's talking about the women talking well the one thing I liked about this film is it was just one hour forty minutes of like a like a white noise buzzing sound. That was it. I mean, there was no film. It was just, <laughs> it was just a buzzing sound that I was able to tune out. Yeah, eventually. no, no, no. I, I just got to think about like football and tits for yeah. an hour and forty minutes. It was great. It was, I got it was to. All right. It was nominated for best picture and best adapted screenplay. Screenplay, maybe it's no shot at best picture. No. What's the competition for best adapted? Uh, it is up against All Quiet on the Western Front. I've seen a lot of pushback against All Quiet on the Western Front. There was a lot of... Um, Why? There's, there's been a lot of um, German critics saying that it portrays the Germans as goodies and the French as baddies and saying that it misunderstood the uh, aims of the novel, of the source material. I kind of disagree with that, having... I uh, like. Having seen the film, read a lot about the First World War, and yeah. read that book, to be honest, yeah. I, I completely disagree with that as an opinion. Yeah, I, think, I, I don't. I don't see any problem with that. I don't. I don't feel like. I mean, this, I think the, the the the. Go on. No, no. You say what you're going to say. I think the French soldiers are like just a millimeter away from being as faceless as the German ones in it. Yeah. It's just you're you're on one side uh, on a different side Same. of the grinder. Same. I, I don't think it's portraying... I don't think it shows the French as being like Nazi-like or something. Not at all. I think they were just doing... They're just doing their job. Man, I want to watch that again. I mean, that yeah, that good. is... That is, like, for the films that are nominated, that, like, if that won Best Director or Best Picture or something, 
there's you, you can't really argue with that. I mean, it's. I in, think it. I think it might well win. Uh, it might well get the uh, screenplay nod because it's up against Glass Onion, which has no shot. Living, which is a remake, as we said before, I I can't see that winning. Top Gun Maverick, I'd be shocked if the screenplay wins, and then it's Women Talking. So I think it's all quiet on the Western Front versus Women Talking or Top Gun. I can't see Top Gun Maverick winning an Oscar for. I'd love it if Top Gun won. Adapted screenplay. Yeah, it won't though. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, so the whale didn't get nominated for best adapted. That's interesting. I no. suppose it's just a play in a different format. The whale was um, only nominated. The whale was nominated for best actor and best supporting actress, and I think best best makeup. So I'll lead into this one. Uh, we was there spoke- anything else to say about women talking? I'm. I. I think I'm done. I think it's worth seeing. To be honest, it's yeah. It's, it's just a, yeah. Moving, no one has seen it. That's the only it. thing. Yeah, it's definitely worth watching. We spoke about Darren Aronofsky not long ago and said he was on a decline, and it's really good to see him get right back to exactly what he's good at, which is psychological storytelling. This is one film now that has really hammered home the disconnect I feel from a certain type of criticism, because I read. I, I hold on. Actually, I'm going to read to you the review I read. It's read. It's from Empire Magazine. I'll read a little bit of a review. Yeah, the uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score for this is about 60, and the audience score is like about 90. So wow. it's clear that audiences like this film. They enjoyed The Whale. And well, it's also, really good. It also, it also did well. I, I mean, it, it made I, like I think 10 it's really times good. its budget. It cost yeah, $3 yeah. Million and made 324 It's a perfect comeback film for both um, Frazier and Aronofsky, to be honest. I found it absolutely <laughs> just while you're pulling that up mm-hmm. i found it absolutely horrifying in points where even thinking about it now makes me want to it makes me want to throw up like I, yeah. there was a point watching it where i was like i don't know that i ever want to eat again i know what you mean right now i want you to listen to this i might even get through the i'll get i'll get through as far as something that just made me go what the hell are you talking about so this is from empire magazine written by a lady called sophie butcher Darren Aronofsky appears to be a director fascinated... Three-star review, by the way. Darren Aronofsky appears to be a director fascinated with extremity. With Black Swan, he depicted just how far someone can push themselves to achieve perfection. With Requiem for a Dream, it was the depths to which an addict can spiral. In The Whale, extremity is expressed through a man called Charlie who pushes human limits with his size and hermetic lifestyle. What's interesting is that the most resonant parts of this film and Charlie aren't found in the remarkable but the mundane. The headline, the audience draw, the thing to be oogled at is Charlie's physical form, delivered via a relatively convincing, though still inherently dehumanizing prosthetics. He is very, very fat. His belly hangs over his trousers. His jawline disappears into his neck. He's introduced via a squirm-inducing masturbation scene. We see his body exposed in the shower. Aronofsky's direction and Samuel D. Hunter's script, adapted from his own play, shows a lot of compassion towards Charlie, but still can't escape the impulse to use his size as spectacle. His fatness is something to be judged, pitied, explained away, and while the supporting character largely manage not to fall into those modes the film itself does little to interrogate the real world stigma that someone like charlie faces and how it would intensify his trauma trauma shame and guilt now i've read a number of reviews with a similar bent and i just like i feel like it feels like they're missing the point of the film on purpose because the film i think does exactly basically the oogling is kind of it's almost the point the the oogling is the sympathy the fact that it's making you just said it there you nearly vomited while watching the film. That's in a way, like, that's not an accident, like. I think you, know? you kind of get over it in the first 10 to 15 minutes. It does humanize. It breaks because you're dealing with something that I guess most people probably don't have to deal with. Mm. Like, I certainly don't. I mean, I'm not interacting with people who, who weigh 600 pounds frequently. 
And there is like, there is, I mean, it's just human nature. There's like a part of you at the start that's like, what the fuck? Mm. And then you sort of, you learn to overcome that. I mean, that's what this film is doing is humanizing someone. But yes. I think, I think the bigger problem with what they're saying is they're suggesting that it's okay for someone to be, to weigh yes. that much and that it's not the result of trauma. Exactly. I mean, that's insane. That is insane. Like that, that's that that should be acceptable to anybody. Yeah. Now, and I'm not talking in a fascistic way, kill them or whatever. But it's like, it, <laughs> Help like them. It, well, it's like you know when you see so I don't know somebody in the street with a million blood vessels burst in their face, and you think to themselves, "Wow, they've been drinking special brew daily for you know whatever ten years." It's it's that with food, and they go into the trauma that caused it. So, yeah. uh, quick dive into the plot. What's the main character's name again? Charlie. Charlie, yeah, sorry, that's right, Charlie. So Charlie is, yeah, morosely uh, obese, lives on his own, he's an English teacher, but he doesn't connect a camera to his computer when he's teaching because he's uh, embarrassed about his appearance. Gradually, details are unveiled in a, in a very play-like manner throughout the film, um, and the main thrust of it is that he was married years ago to a woman played by Samantha Morton, uh, had a kid who he loved, but really he was he was gay, and then he fell in love with one of his students, who was, and they had a happy couple of years, his boyfriend was a member of a kind of a Christian cult. And it was in his boyfriend's head like a disease or something. And he became an anorexic uh, and eventually died. And then this kicked off Charlie's slowly killing himself with food. And the film takes place in what's going to be the final week of his life with, and his daughter, with his daughter coming around. They're like There's some third act crisis come to by the fact that like he's, he doesn't get medical help and he pretends like he has no money, but it's revealed he's been saving up all this money for his daughter. But like really, and he, his, the theme is him as an English teacher, he wants people to say things that are honest and he loves this uh, essay that was written by his daughter. And the, the film t titled... The Whale is a reference to Moby Dick. It's a, like just a, a sort of an unknown, sad entity. That's the, the If you've never read Moby Dick, that's a big theme in it is just like, what, what, what's the whale thinking and do we even care, etc. And like, the, I don't know, that people could say that this film is inhumane is fucking bizarre to me because the, I, I, for me, yeah, I, I, I don't know why it was trepidatious to see it because the, 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 there was a relatively lukewarm reception. But for me, this would be, I think this is a five-star movie. It floored me. I was, I, and I was just like, I was weeping by it uh, at, at the end, particularly when he's like, um, he gets his daughter to read out that essay. Oh, just nothing. I, nothing made me cry, but I did. I was moved, but not moved to tears. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I just enjoyed all the interaction throughout. I yeah. think the, the characters that they introduce, the daughter and this missionary boy who's supposedly working for this new, what's it called, New Dawn Church or something? Yeah, something like that. New Sun, something like that, this sort of culty church. Yeah, just the characters were interesting. They had depth. There were revelations that, that, you know, that were a lot more shocking than anything that we saw in the other two films. It's just such a well-written film and pro a well-written play beforehand, but like... You know when Samantha Morton is just just through dealing with her daughter, and uh, mm -hmm. Charlie is going, but she's amazing, and uh, she's like just you with your fucking optimism, and uh, like it's you know it's one of the things I loved about you, and it, that feels like a really real interaction, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like the the two people actually care about each other, but like he's gay. What like what was he? And he fell in love with somebody else. 
and oh my like and the, the, she like her relationship with her daughter is broken and he's just just trying to just just as a last act sort of i don't know point his kid in the right direction it, i i thought, i think it's an absolutely beautiful film as i said at the start I'm very, very glad to see. Um, I mean, I was never too attached to um, Brendan Fraser's career, <laughs> but um, he was a bit like. I mean, he was just he's he's one of those guys who's got like a reputation as just being just nice. He's a nice yeah, guy. Yeah. He's a solid enough actor. He can and get the all, job done. I think he's amazing in this. Yes, he is. And by all but, accounts, he's he stepped away from his career on purpose. Yeah, he had a horrible he divorced. He split, yeah, he divorced his wife. He had to, his alimony and child support uh, came to like a huge amount it was something like seventy thousand dollars a month or something like that um so he was basically just making films just to kind of pay the bills and um yeah i think that ran out but now he's back he's going to be in uh what's this was the new martin scorsese film flower killer killers of the flower yeah he's in killers of the flower moon by the way great on the cast list so good for him another great example of that uh, sweet sweet apple money because i've read that book they're spending two hundred and forty million on yeah, making no one, it. No, it, no one cares. No one wants that. No one wants what to see. I mean, I watch it because it's easy, but the story doesn't doesn't pique my interest. There was a lot of pushback against this film for not casting someone who who weighed six hundred pounds. How how dumb is everyone? Uh, oh yeah, actually, and Fraser got in trouble also for not being gay. Again, that's why they call it acting, my dear boy. Yeah. Have you read an awful lot of the... I mean, I think critics are finally coming out of the woodwork because maybe they're less scared than they used to be. But have you read any of the criticism with everybody shitting on Ant-Man and the Wasp? I, I haven't, you know, obviously I haven't watched the film, but I mm. feel like I've pieced it together in my head just from reading reviews and comments. Yeah, and but everybody is saying... makes sense to me. I haven't heard, I haven't read any criticism where I was like, oh, that sounds out of order. Everybody is saying, like, like, I've read a couple of sort of letter to the editor type pieces by film critics where they're going, um, can we like speed up the process where the Marvel films gradually make less and less money uh, just so that they, you know, they figure out something they sort else of wanted to do? to die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like me, I've been saying this for a while. Like, just stop at this point. But they're not going to stop for ages, obviously. Um, I think in your head, you just need to create like a barrier separation and go, end game, that's yeah. it. No, 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 which I do. And never into like this postscript of bullshit. It's not going to come together into whatever secret wars or yeah, no, the no. fuck is going on with Kang. No, no, there's no way they can. I mean, and I, yeah, but anyway, another indication of that would be, I don't know, just the fact that people are piling such hate on the whale. I mean, the, the, I've read a lot of negative stuff about it. And uh, one thing that makes me happy is I'm just glad to see, I'll say, I'm glad to see Darren Aronofsky back. This film made a lot of money for the people who financed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much back, he's playing to his strengths. Just films about individual human psychology. What are your favorite Aronofsky films? For me, like the the wrestler is number one for sure. But I mean, I like a lot of what he's done. I'll go Requiem for a Dream and The Fountain first. I really like that. I like The Fountain too. Yeah, I I enjoyed The Wrestler, but The Wrestler at the time felt like it felt like such a weird choice. Like when you looked at everything he'd done prior, this was I think that was the first thing that he he hadn't written. Yeah, but I do think it's a very Aronofsky film. Well, I, I think like, like this, I just, I think he's a talented filmmaker, so I think it doesn't really matter. If he has a good script, I think he will make a good film. I just think he's, it, it's, I think it's better maybe now that he does make, make other people's scripts. Maybe, yeah. Because Mother, like Mother turned me off so badly. I can watch, I could, well, I can never watch Mother again once was no. enough, but like I could watch it and say that's a well-made film. 
but I just disagree. Like all of the content and the points it was making, I I just I couldn't stomach them. Yeah, they, like it was just it was just painful to take a metaphor for that long of a walk. But I enjoyed um, uh, Black Swan. I still haven't seen Noah. And Noah's, I liked Pie. Is, Pie's Noah's good, an odd choice. Pie's obviously, Pie's, Pie is his first film. Is very low budget. Mm. Yeah, Pie is interesting. No, the thing you know, the thing about Noah is Noah is a big budget blockbuster, as you would imagine Darren Aronofsky would do mm. it. It's like visually, there's parts of it that are quite interesting, but it, like it's, do you know what? It's it's just a bizarre film that 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 got made. Like even to watch it now, you you would be going because clearly they spent a lot of money on it. I doubt it made. I doubt it made it back. No I was way. very strongly doubt that. Like I saw it in the biggest screen in the city I was living in at the time, and I was the only person in the cinema. It was one of those <laughs> ones, only one in there. Even his, I'll say this, you're pulling these words out of me really, but like even his failures, and I would say his biggest one uh, would be Mother, are interesting. Like sure. Mother is an interesting failure. Yeah, it's one I never want to see again, but... No, I would rather eat Glass, but still. Yes, Todd Glass. Yes, I would rather eat Todd Glass. His next film is called Adrift. It's in pre-production. I saw that, yeah. A fishing boat discovers an abandoned yacht with a strange distress call. A deckhand agrees to take loan control of it while it's towed into port, but soon he discovers why it's called, uh, why it is called it. Soon he discovers why it is called it, uh, Ghost Ship. It's based on a book by Koji Suzuki, starring Jared Leto. <laughs> okay. Uh oh. It started strong and then it just really <laughs> tailed off at the end. Just that name, really. Even Koji when he's Suzuki's good in things, I hate him. Wrote, uh, the Ring and um, Dark Water. And hmm, okay, fair so. enough. No, no, no. I like. I mean, I'll, I like. I'll definitely tune in. Really enjoyed the whale. Glad he's you know on the up and up. Poor old Aaron Aronofsky. Yeah, but this is based on the play we mentioned by Samuel D. Hunter. Samuel D. Hunter wrote episodes of Baskets, the show Baskets. Oh, the, apparently, the clown show. Yeah, the one with um, Zach, Zach Galifianakis. Galifianakis and uh, what's his name? Who's dead? And Louis C.K. produced it. Produced it. Yeah, um, and that's why it, I think the show ran into trouble when uh, Louis was getting cancelled. But apparently, elements of the whale are based on Samuel D. Hunter's uh, real life experience. Ah, right. Okay, but he's not a big fat guy, is he? Yeah, I think he's struggled with weight problems throughout his life. I saw a photo of him, and he, he looks very slim, but I think he may have had issues at a certain point. But he's from Idaho originally. Weight issues. It's set, yeah. Yeah. I mean, who likes to wait? That's exactly. He has a very, very uh, short fuse, and well, he doesn't like being in uh, weighing in queues. We're, uh, I, I, feel like, uh, I feel like we've run the course on these three films almost, have we? Ah, absolutely. Uh, I think we got the we got the ranking correct. Yeah, yeah. I'm and glad to see that you like. I I know to be honest, just because the, there's been such odd press around the whale. I, when I enjoyed it so much, I was th I was thinking, am I wrong about this? What's the what? Oh, do you know something that you should do though? Have you look up uh, images from the theatrical productions of the whale? I am assuming they actually got heavy actors. No, they did, did not. Did they or no? No, they didn't. No. Oh, well, well, I'm not going to see that play. If I Google search the whale play, I, I hope it's just whales playing. Yep, it's, uh, it's, it's large guys. Those men aren't really big. Well, some look more authentic than others. I mean, this film is uh, it's nominated for Best Makeup. Now um, I've seen nine out of ten Best Picture nominees. I, th I guess you're the same. I, I feel like I might actually have to watch Elvis now just so... Because I think this would be the first time ever where I'll have seen all 10 before the Oscars. 
And at this moment in time, which would you give it to? Uh, Elvis, just because I haven't seen it. No, I got eight days to to watch Elvis. Uh, I think I would go for. I think I stand with what I said. I want Banshees of Inisherin to win. I I I would take everything everywhere all at once. I just really hope it's not the Fablemans. Every, anything else, I have no problem with. Hmm. And I've seen a lot of Fablemans. There's a lot of like it's been pushed in the in the news cycle. Spielberg coming out and saying that like there's more anti this is the most anti-Semitic time since World War Two. But that does not make his film good, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, oh man, I'd love it if the Banshees of Inisherin won. That'd be such a triumph, wouldn't it? I think there's a like All Quiet on the Western Front did really well at the BAFTAs. I'd be okay with that too. I think and Elvis, everything everywhere, everything everywhere all at once, and Elvis are in with a shot. Tar maybe. I think everything else has no ch- has no chance, and it would be again as I say, if Fablemans wins, then that's just that's an insult. The Daniels or Martin McDonough taking home a statue, and I'm I like I that or Ruben Osland. That would t- or Ruben Osland, yeah. That would tell to me. I, I, that the Oscars might be worth giving a shit about. I think Austin Butler, unfortunately, has a chance of best actor because he's won a few. Living is out now, it's available, but it looks, like we said before, it looks like uh, you might just be as well watching the uh, original Kurosawa film, Ikaru. Ikaru, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it looks like it's even set in the same time period. They've literally just switched it to London. I mean, that's a good way to make a five-star movie, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a wonder, it, it's a wonder it didn't hours, work yeah. with uh, Gus Van Sant for his psycho film, which I've never well, seen. I think actually. you need to. I have. I think you just need to not do it shot for shot. That's the biggest thing. And don't cast Vince Vaughn as Anthony Perkins. So it's not good. Is that what you're saying? Gus Van Sant came out and said it was. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. He was like, <laughs> it was an experiment and it didn't work. I learned the lesson that you shouldn't remake other people's films shot for shot. You know, he was like, well, you know, someone needed to do it. Yeah, Did that's they? fair. Did they need to spend millions on that? I would like it if somebody remade this episode of the podcast sentence per sentence for in shot. Chinese. Yes. Well, I do challenge accepted straight to China. Uh, next up next week, we're watching Anna in the Cities and the American Friend. Yeah. Sweet. The American fr- Friend. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's how Vim Vendor is. Americaner Friender. What? <laughs> Nothing, nothing. I'm not, I'm not, not, not saying what I was going to say. Until then, I suppose, uh, I love you what all, gonna guys. What are going to watch in two weeks? Oh, wait, yeah. What are we going to watch in two weeks? That is a good question. Living is there anything... and Ikaru. What about that? Do you want to do that? I don't know. It could be, what else is there to watch? Elvis. Yeah. It'll be already be too late. It'll be after the Oscars. R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. What? Yeah, he died. When did Tommy Size die? Well, he'd had like a brain aneurysm the other day. And then now they just switched off the, the life support. Oh, wow. I mean, he went hard. He went hard in the paint. Did old, uh, old Tommy size. But I, uh, I liked him. Yeah, he was great. He was great at what he did. But he's gone now. And let us never speak his name again. Got Scream 6 coming up? Uh, no. Got Creed 3? I'd, I would get, I'd have to watch the two other Creeds. I'd have to, because I haven't seen no Creed. We have a ghost? What's that? Is that what it's called? We have a ghost. That's what it's called. It's called okay. We have a ghost. We Cocaine have bear. A no. Cocaine bear. Eh. Last film of a uh, friend of the show, Ray Liotta. That's right. Yeah. I once went on a date with a girl who looked like Ray Liotta. Really? <laughs> yes. Who? This is a long time ago. But did you immediately note? Oh my god! <laughs> I was at the stand in Edinburgh. This is like 2005 or something. 
I wouldn't say she was like like a complete dead ringer for Ray Liotta, but there was Liotta aspects. To her face. <laughs> she had a, a bit of a Liotta face. What, what did you do for the day? We uh, this was very bad. We went to see Wedding Crashers, and she was from the uh, US. I went on a date with uh, to Wedding Crashers as well. We went to see Wedding Crashers, and we smoked weed beforehand. That's not a very Andy move. Yeah. So then I I freaked out in the middle of the screening and had to leave. Oh yeah, I was like, I not a very handy move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to run away. I was like, I'm <laughs> sorry, I can't take really? it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely whited, and I was like, I need to get out of there. And oh my god! I think god. I called her up, and she was like, she was like, funny, funny how? Funny. <laughs> no, she was just. She was kind of like that was weird, and I was like, yeah, it was. I did not see her again. How did you ask ladies out back then? Just meet them in places and say, <laughs> I don't know. I assume I was drunk. Because uh, well, yeah, that was, in a, it was it's weird to pull like at a comedy club. I met her at the stand. We were both audience members. That is weird. Yeah, I guess we just hung around afterwards, and I was like, "Mr. Liotta, I uh, I'm a big fan of your work. <laughs> you were great in uh, Narc. Narc is good, isn't it? Mm, I remember it Jason being good. Patrick. I think. Yeah, who doesn't really work anymore, does he? No. Anyway, we'll we'll come up with something. I'll be in a. When place... will we be doing the next one? Uh, two weeks. Well, we'll talk about the Oscars anyway at that point. Sharper. <laughs> What's that? Is that like sharp? It's Similar a... to sharp. Is this a sequel to the uh, Sean Bean series? No, it's like um, it's a, a con movie from Apple TV+. Plus. We'll see. It's Yeah, okay, we can just decide. This is insane. Time. Yeah, whatever. We'll come up with yeah. something. Again, if anyone has any uh, suggestions that are not Dances with Wolves, uh, nothing involving dancing or wolves. Yes, nothing so involving no dancing, dancing or wolves. And no, the gray. Compa- no, the gray. I went to see that in the that. cinema. Yeah, we could re. That's due a rewatch, isn't it? Same, Joe same Carnahan, same director as uh, Narc. Yeah. Oh, look back. knowledge, knowledge. Yeah. Look at that. Me, yeah. this is what you pay for, folks. Yeah. You don't pay if you're paying. <laughs> and he's not sharing. <laughs> I'm racking up the cash. Thank you for thank you for everyone who keeps. Uh, thank you for all the money that you keep sending in. I yes. really appreciate all the donations and uh, thank yes. you. And thank you for all the dirty panties I get in yeah. my post. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Talk to you next week about Alice in the Cities and the American Friend. Yes. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.